in a way television is quite unprecedented in that in the past audiences were gathered for specific reasons to hear speeches or uh, uh, even to see specific events but television doesn't do that its job is to gather an audience and it doesn't really much care uh, what it uses as the means to gather an audience if Reagan and Mondale <clears throat> ha uh, were serious men in fact they would turn to Miss Walters and say what kind of men do you think we are we're running for the highest office in the land you can't answer a question like this in two minutes nor can you rebut someone else's answer in 60 seconds or they might turn to Miss Walters and say what kind of people do you think the American public is that they will put up with a forum in which candidates for the presidency are asked to respond to a question like this in two minutes and or one minute but in fact none of that ever happens Reagan does answer and Mondale does give his rebuttal and everyone goes on with this charade that television is informing the public in fact television I would argue is not it's amusing the public and that this is not a, a legitimate form of political discourse but is taken right from uh, the values of show business what's the effect of this if you're right well I, uh, there are lots of effects uh, one is that um, uh, it may well be that although the American public knows of many things it knows about very little and may be, may be the Americans may be the most ill-informed people in the Western world. September 24th, 2016. This is The Clues Chronicle, issue 13. Hello, Headfloss and the International Space Station. I'm your host, Kay. And I'm your host, Hoi Polloi. It is evening. We're on microphones. I'm recording from Phoenix, Arizona, where my travels have found me. And Kay, I believe you're in Seattle? About 30 minutes southwest of Seattle. Just before that bumper music, you heard excerpts from an interview with Neil Postman. Kay, did you get a chance to hear the whole interview? Oh, yes, it's quite interesting. He, he lays in to the intellectuals of the day, I guess, about media. Yeah, he seems to be saying that television is just a commercial enterprise, and I enjoyed taking away from it the concept of now this in order to get you to, you know, chop up the context as you're viewing. Did you take anything from it that you liked? The same kind of thing. It's like you talk about how many people were killed in an avalanche, and then you go straight to selling jeans. Like what you just said didn't matter. Do we really care? Do we really, if we're going to say, hey, these people died, and now buy these cool jeans. You'll look fabulous in them. The, the only point that I took some issue is when he was like, 
well, if they're going to lie about the Holocaust, you know, that would be horrific and stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, you, you have a Jewish upbringing, so you're going to believe in the Holocaust, of course. And that's too bad. But we're not questioning that in this show, you know, even we might, well, actually, we, we might question it once in a while in every show. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> so that was kind of disappointing for me. But at the same time, I, I align with his skepticism of technology as some kind of universal saving grace. You know, he says, wait, now, we, there are wonderful benefits, but let's also examine what consequences. You know, there's always a price, um, there's give and take. So what is this technology actually doing? Probably harming us more than helping. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hope not. I don't know. This is pretty cool for you and me to be talking through technology, right? Yeah, that's that's where I'm going right now. Is I'm trying to be optimistic, but, I mean, technology has given us some incredible what would you call it almost like psychological weapons weapons in general mm. mm-hmm. yeah weapons people don't think about technology like that though i think we're trained to think that it's good for us and it's bringing i mean i'm in education and we just got a technology grant i hope this isn't off course but in my school everybody has a chromebook now every student has a chromebook that's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. So they're not doing textbooks. I think that's exactly what Neil Postman was kind of warning us about is, wait, you don't need to run schools uh, with the Internet. Is that actually helping us? You know, it's a tool like anything else, even the textbook. So they open their Chromebook to get a PDF of the textbook, which is too expensive to buy for every student. So in a way, so we got the grant from the federal government. That's always interesting, right? Uh, Hmm, I'll be darned. I guess suppose YouTube and Google and the CIA's involvement in those startups and PayPal and (laughs) Tesla and all those. Yeah, yeah, those are also about money. So again, it comes back to funding seems to be a big thing. We're not funded. You know, we're not interrupting with a commercial of any kind. So that might tell you something about where we're coming from. And we're not paid to do this either. So right. Exactly. Uh, we have our own interview coming up now. Yes, we do. When you started the show, you said it wasn't going to be much about interviews, but now it seems like every episode we have a guest to interview. What's going on there? Uh, we started the show as an attempt to distill for people what researching news items for oneself could actually look like. So what are authentic people doing asking these strange questions? Well, in a world where, as Neil Postman just said, we are entertaining ourselves to death and we rely on the most absolute cynics to give us information about things we really care about and which they really don't care to inform us about. Unless we're buying. It's to sell a product from the higher bidder in these psychological campaigns. Yes, you've said that before and I really appreciate that. That fact is not only plainly out there, They won't even deny it unless they are paid to deny it in the very types of campaigns that control the news. So they might say, well, this is a video news release or such, or this is sponsored by so-and-so. We've demonstrated that. They admit it. They often admit where the money is coming from. But people go on feeling they have a choice, I guess, because there are different flavors of mental poison to choose from. (laughs) Mental poison. Oh, that's harsh. Sorry, but sometimes it does seem like it's a drug or some kind of thing. You know, it's a psych- it's a drug. TV has a drug-like effect on us, and we're being inundated with it. Well, it's just not TV. The campaigns are multimedia now. They pay for websites. It's in YouTube, Facebook, and other social media presences. Yep, and it's about money. The truth 
doesn't matter to them in the slightest. They're apparently content to peddle whatever they're told. And that means corporate money is, it, it's the reality, right? So yeah. you, you give the, the corporate sponsorship, seems how it's working. If you want to understand how 9-11's shoddy artificial construction awakened us to the uh, intellectual and academic awareness of these studies, please listen to episodes one and two. But why are we doing so many interviews with people? Uh, some of the earliest feedback we received from other researchers was our was one was from our forum technician Nono Capito, and I hope he doesn't mind me calling him that a forum technician, <laughs> saying we need to bring in more voices and perspectives. Uh, so here we are, crowd round, everyone. Well, it's a good idea. You and I don't agree on everything, and we have our own stances and our own ontologies, but we can agree that September Clues is an important cultural work which comments intelligently about 9/11. Yes, and it's not sponsored. Either. Um, not by a corporation, not by anybody. Well, we do have a donation button on Clues Forum, and I'll have to say for myself, I donate monthly. No, no, but don't. <laughs> no, 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 why no not? plugs. No plugs. Why? Uh, you don't want plugs? If you really, really want to, it does help. We, we've, we've gotten enough donations now that it, it covers, and not much more, the expense of hosting cluesforum.info, septemberclues.info, septclues.com. But those are just the websites. That's the forums commenting on the September Clues. Actually, the actual documentary was entirely Simon's volunteered time uncovering the ridiculous problems with 9-11. Clues Forum and the sites and this podcast are more like a September Clues fan club of sorts. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's been wonderful to give as many perspectives as possible uh, from the types of people that find themselves interested in coming to our virtual living room here, the Clues Chronicle, and looking at all the essays and notes left here inspired by and in honor of the art piece, September Clues, which is a critical look at the alleged terrorist attacks of 9-11, as well as now kind of, well, Clues Forum is kind of an extension of that now, in a way. Well, you need to have that presence. You need to have multimedia presence. So I'm so glad you started the Clues Chronicle. Oh, thank you. It's really, and it, I couldn't have done it without you. So this is, I'm really happy that we, we're celebrating our one year birthday. <laughs> there we go. Yay. Happy birthday to us. <laughs> Woohoo. Oh, thanks, train. The train was like, congratulations. <laughs> well, I think what Nono Capito wanted was something maybe more nuanced than just forum users. More like talk radio, where they pretend to represent a number of perspectives. But I think we're pretty upfront here. I mean, we, we straight up declare we are representing and owning our bias. We like this critical, low-key, non-ranting, non-conspiratorial look at corporate news. Um, and I'm not sure if that's how my father would put it, but we'll ask him in a moment. Can't wait to hear what he has to say about all this. It's interviewing other people and getting their viewpoint like you said, it's super important to Clues Chronicle because that way, I think we to talk about it, we bring it alive. You know, we make it three dimensional. Last year, when Simon and I were looking at the site and trying to figure out how we could improve things, one of those things was this podcast. We did a purge of a number of accounts registered at Clues Forum who had zero posts and a number of names and call signs that looked familiar to us as shill or troll accounts. What do those look like, and how can you tell? <laughs> Good question. Well, uh, first of all, 
The email addresses are fake or they wouldn't function as emails. Uh, that's why we started the handshake introduction method where you email Simon and say why you want to join. And usually we ask people, you know, how did you come to this research? Sometimes people will honestly say, well, someone said, look at this stupid shit. Go look at those dumb people and laugh at them. And we're like, oh, okay, so are you going to keep with that context when you're here? In the past, we've been harassed by people using names that look like codes. XBT0ZS in all caps. XBT0S2, sarcastic titles like everything is fake, you know, these ass lickers that would claim they were a fan, but then act like they completely did not understand the fact that the World Trade Center showed any of the indisputable signs of fakery. Yes, I used the word ass lickers. <laughs> they, they are. They, they will totally suck up to you and then stab you in the back. That is like their MO. Mm -hmm. um, they won't acknowledge that September Clues shows how much of New York could not have possibly been a real representation with real video, but is some kind of CGI cartoon or an inaccurate skyline with strangely behaving buildings and layers. It, not to mention the irreconcilably different angles of the supposed second plane crash, which was the only crash shown live. And anyway, don't get me started, Kay. <laughs> so did you email each one of those emails and see if it worked? Well, sometimes you wouldn't have to because, for example, it wouldn't be a legal email. It would be like at nothing. It wouldn't be permitted as an email. Mm -hmm. Okay. I made those alphabet names up just now, but you get the idea. It's like the troll kind of names you see on YouTube, often with empty profiles, a fake address with more sarcasm in the name, or just a very obscure, fishy-looking fishy email host. And it wasn't exactly spymail.com, but if you visited the sites, you'd sometimes get that impression. Like, I've never heard of this site before, and now we're getting a bunch of shills coming at us registered at that one site and you know they, they were pretty transparent sometimes it's okay to be suspicious in this line of inquiry but i mean nobody is selling a psychological campaign like 9-11 purely for your personal benefit oh on the contrary yes and we critique each other on the forum as well every detective every researcher seems to take pride in their own methods when they actually gain confidence that they can research things for themselves and demonstrate they have a working brain that doesn't just rehash and repost pre-written sponsored articles. Vigilant Clues forum user F. Benario challenged us on the large number of users with no contributions to the forum when we explained we were deleting those names. And user Seneca noted, speaking of that, who is Headfloss and why is he listed under moderators? Why indeed? It says they registered January 2nd, 2014. Who is Headfloss? Uh, I'll let Headfloss answer for himself. Here he is. Hi, Dad. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Yep, I've been here and listening. Sorry, I've got multiple windows open now, so I... Oh, that's fine. Cool. Hello. Thank you for having me on, and I'm feeling a little jolly because I'm understanding it's a happy birthday moment, so... <laughs> okay. Uh, I get pulled into the happy birthday notions, and I can't help it. So oh, thank you. Feeling feeling kind of celebratory. Yeah. Way to go. Okay, congrats. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Dad, what do you remember about that time when uh, you registered as head floss? I remember feeling that there's a great deal of responsibility to contribute to the forum. Up to that point, I'd been a little standoffish and really curious and learning and watching the new form happening. And um, 
and then to be asked to be a part of it. I'm a timid and I'm a timid person by nature. And so I felt a little kind of reluctant and, and trying to figure out what would be the best way to be in that forum and try to be engaged, which is the way I want to, because I take it seriously and also be, be responsible. So those were some of my thoughts at the time. Thank you. I, you know, I remember asking you actually to be responsible because it was a time that Simon and I were both going to be away from the forum and I needed somebody I could trust to sort of ask to just look over it and make sure that strange things didn't happen. And I, I'm not even sure you, uh, understood what I was asking of you, but it was a time when I, we needed somebody to just be there because occasionally, you know, trolls will just flood in. Right. Well, that was, and I, when I, I was taking that and feeling that responsibility very, um, deeply. And the, I call it new media because I'm, you know, I'm of a certain age where this is new media for me. And there, there are a lot of ways that people show up in the world before new media showed up. I mean, we're actors on stages, but this was such a pronounced way. And then, and then the realization that there are bots out there and there's a amplified way that people can show up when they think that they're um, anonymous. Oh, right, right, yes, anonymity. There's that, yeah, the anonymity piece, and and people, it's interesting how people behave when they have their anonymity. I mean, as I suppose as kids, we used to play games with the phones and play phone games and call people up and, you know, you, you probably heard stories about people doing that. Well, this takes it to... I don't know, magnitude 10 beyond that in, and, uh, or beyond. I mean, it's really quite an extraordinary, extraordinary and, and contemporary phenomenon. And it seems old hat, I suppose, for many people, but, um, especially probably agencies that have employed that, that game, that sort of, um, espionage game and they, and they take it seriously. Well, right. Yes. And, um, and I'm a naive person and always trying to be less naive and finding out, oh, my gosh, the complexities are, are out there. I, I kind of am, am surprised at how hard it is to keep up with um, all the complexities and then how to how to sort through good decision making, knowing that all that that's out there and then well, run into these sort of macro narratives of good and evil. And, whoa, how do we? How do we navigate all that? So anyway, when, when asked to be a part of that and knowing that I really didn't want to necessarily be a gatekeeper, but the, but there is a function where you have to be careful to make safe places for people to come and be authentic in a space together. What the way I related to that was with work with small group facilitation, because I like adult learning collaboratives. So I kind of was thinking it's a virtual adult learning collaborative setting and kind of use that as the metaphor in my mind. Yeah, that's not even too bad of a simile. And so how would you, I mean, I want to just go over briefly something that I think people would appreciate about you is that you helped me appreciate the depth of things. You've always been asking how deep is what's going on. And you know, you say that you have a hard time 
appreciating the depth, but I think that what stands out to me is that you often look at things very deeply, uh, more deep than other people are comfortable with, and, uh, and sometimes that's taught me how to reassess the now. Wow. Well, thank you. That's a very honoring thing to say. I think where that comes um, from for me is being domesticated within the Roman Catholic system and a part of at least preliminarily a um, classical Western education and, you know, all that, all that, all the good and the bad that comes with that. And then on the one hand, we're asked to know, be aware that questions are, are welcomed because we're in the modern system. We're in the post enlightenment system, but still, uh, even even knowing that within Roman Catholicism there was a catechism there was a definitely if you knew the answers they were available I mean you could look it up they were they were numbered everything was everything we there was certainty and given that and if you had any doubts you knew who to go to who the authorities were it would be the priest absolutely and then and and yeah so that it's a really amazing system so. I can't remember when I wasn't impacted by that because I grew, I, I was born into that and grew up in that system. And, um, but at some point, the questions I were, I was asking of the authorities at the time, the answers weren't very fulfilling and, and doubt creeped in. And so then choices needed to be made. So, so you became the partner and advocate of Satan, obviously, at that point. <laughs> well, I didn't, I suppose, you know, I didn't, well, yeah, I suppose, I don't know, I never, I guess I never ascribed that to myself. Well, can well, we ask what kind of questions you were asking? I mean, well, that kind of hints at your beginning to question. I'll go back to one of the big questions for me was when I was in seminary. So it was, I was in preparatory school, freshman in high school. In the system here, there's a four, there's a four year system that would lead you to that's preparatory to the seminary system because I wanted to be a priest before that. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I mean, I be before that I wanted to be a saint. That's what I was asking my parents about. Well, how do you become a saint? We'll start with being a priest because I just thought that that was, you know, what we were supposed to be doing. And, uh, right. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is the model. Yeah. Right. So. I, mean, that's, I, I thought. You can't be Jesus. What's the next best thing, right? So be saintly, and how do you do that? Well, start with being a priest. So it was sort of that trajectory that I was working on. And, uh, and you're um, still working on it to this day. So there's a metaphor, too, the saint metaphor. The, the, but one of the questions I found in seminary was when I was a freshman in high school was I walked up to the the head I've forgotten the name. There's a title for these people, of course. Dragon? No, well, we didn't call him Dragon. We we had a there were no there's a more honorary kind Deacon. of higher than that. But he was the he was the one and and uh the highest authority and I mustered up my courage to ask this question of him and I said, In order to be a good Catholic do we have to believe in transubstantiation? Because I was struggling with this notion of transubstantiation, which it's a really wonky word, but it does differentiate from even the Christian sects. And it's the idea that when the 
Words of institution are spoken over the elements, the elements being bread and wine. When the words of institution are spoken over the elements, does do those elements actually change their form to become the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ? That's the notion be, behind or that is, the, I suppose, the definition of transubstantiation, and it's a doctrine, I think that's the right word, of Catholicism. And I asked if, in order to be a good Catholic, I had to believe in that, and the answer um, unequivocally was yes. And right there, I knew I had a problem, because I, I just, you know, that was problematic for me. So, I don't know how old you are when you're a freshman in high school in the system in North America, I think 15-ish, yeah. Yeah, about the same time you're really interested in figuring out your sexuality in a way, too. So there was a, you know, sort of a double whammy going on there. And also there were, there were problems within, because it was an all-boys school and we were sent away. It was a boarding school situation. And so there, it was problematic for me at the time. So I backed out of that. But the questioning mind never stopped and that once you asked once you start asking questions for me it was there was no end to it and i guess i'd always been a questioning person but when you're questioning the authorities that's a i think it's a i think it's a very good principle question authority you know and so i guess i guess i never stated it for myself but that sort of is was sort of the beginning of it and then authority and authorship and those are some big themes in my life authorship what do you mean well when when we think about when we think about who an author is you the author is in my understanding is someone you attribute sort of a authenticity or a creative original kind of i'm missing out on dinner and that's perfectly fine because i'm i'm really happy to be doing this show do you need to go get a bite no no, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I don't know that I can pick up right where I left off, but it's it's interesting because it went in a way that I wasn't anticipating because of. Yeah, this. and you know, and I don't even know if it fits in, but all of a sudden I want to ask you, you mm -hmm. know, well, why wasn't I raised in, or how was it chosen that I was raised in the church experience and all that? But I, I think that doesn't really belong in this show. So it kind of does because we made a de we made a decision to raise you in a church experience, so you had something to push against because we felt a really strong value in having something at least to push against because we knew pushing against something is a natural part of the of human development. I'll be darned. Yeah. You just, you, <laughs> you clever parents, you, ugh, shaking my fist. Yeah, we knew that from our own experiences that you need, there's this, you know, people have to be domesticated and you have to pick, you, you can't, how are you going to start from scratch? You know, you've got to work because we can't all of us start from scratch. It's, it's not, I don't know if it's possible, you know, so you got to pick a baseline to push against because that's part of the. As we're developing, we're going to say no. So it's good to have something, at least. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, you didn't Isn't know that? that. beautiful? That is beautiful. Oh, you didn't know wow. that? Wow. Kay, Kay is complimenting you on your parenting skills, and I obviously have well, a lot to learn if I ever 
plan yeah, on having bust, a family. You busted me out. And there, I'm trying to be authentic. So there it is. I mean, that was, Beautiful. that was kind of, we strategized on it. We didn't know. We did, first of all. Gee, how could you possibly have <laughs> sensed that I was a rebel? <laughs> oh, that became clear from, the day we tried to put you in the bunting, we'd been so trained to put you in the bunting. You know this story. Yeah. Wrap you up. No way. That was not going to be, we knew right away your personality, you know, put you in a crib. No way. There wasn't a way to contain you. You were, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. You, you showed up really early, man. <laughs> I'm really thankful for the, um, <laughs> the multi-generational experience we're having right now. Um, and Grandpa and Grandma are, have both passed on now, your parents. Yeah. And um, I didn't really get a chance to talk with them about this subject this, of authority and things. Um, but uh, I really would have liked to because, as you know, uh, Grandpa has a story about being in World War II and and he had his own way of questioning authority, even as he was very much an authority. And yeah, it's um, it's all been very interesting. He danced very well with that, and he shared with us some of it later, some of his backstage stuff, mm. which is it was fun to hear as man in his life. There was a there were five of us when he was around. Four sons and him, male. It was a male cohort in the family. Father and four boys, poor mother, but there we were. <laughs> so he, he, we, we really enjoyed our times together as adults and it's really impacted. And you've seen it. You, you've seen it. The men still meet. Dad's gone, but you've been a part of that kind of maleness gathering. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, um, and I've been able to bring up these subjects with some of our family, and without going too much into it, um, suffice to say you are probably the most receptive and the most patient because of your depth. So that's why we invited you, and um, so thank you for coming on. I'm really honored, you guys. I'm really honored. Oh, I'm honored to be talking to both of you tonight. This is uh, just geez. I love getting together like this. It's it's so amazing, really. I don't think we realize how special. I'm trying to live in the moment more, you see. <laughs> joy as these moments come. Yeah, that's true. We don't it seems well, we do have a great deal of control of our lives, but then the control that we manifest for ourselves does put us in patterns where we feel like, oh, I'm out of control of this. But it's actually more like, well, here's the thing that I do. And sometimes we feel like, wait, should I be doing this thing? Um, but when we are in it, then yeah, we do. There's a lot of there's a lot of special stuff going on. I agree with that, and that's one of the things I want to celebrate about Clues Chronicle and the forum. I'm not a huge forum user, but what I want to celebrate about this all is there's a honoring of didactics and philosophy and some very, very deep principles that are there. And I just, I want to, I really want to extend my gratitude for, for that too. Um, and the importance of opening a safe space so that people can come together and share from wherever they're coming from. And I, 
I think we've used the word ontology in the past together, and to me that's a really, really important word. It, it, I know it in the classical Western tradition as being the study of meaning and the study of purpose, maybe, but more like meaning. And meaning, you know, it, it's a very personal thing, and it's a personal individual thing, and it becomes also a personal identity thing in groups. Yes. Um, so this is a, what I would like to celebrate is that this forum really understands that this is, it's very, very important that people show up in their authentic selves and challenges people to pay attention to their identity, show up with that identity, be truthful for that and share that in this space and try to make it safe for that. And if there are artificial people, including bots, trying to, um, work against that, that's something to try to gatekeep and control because this is a very, it's a, this is a, it's a kind of a, I'm going to risk saying sacred, but it's a, how do you treat, how do you teach wisdom and how do you teach these kinds of important principles? If you don't, you know, it needs to be modeled and it needs to be, Created and you're you're working toward creating that space, and in and it's also create it's a creating a culture and you're I see this and others like you and the work that you're doing in this new these new forms as being the cultural creatives and it's very important because there are all kinds of ways that people want to taint it or otherwise make it not as wonderful and amazing as it can be. Maybe that's part of the birthday celebration as we celebrate these kinds of forums, these kinds of spaces, virtual or otherwise. I liked your, I liked your talking about virtual living room. I love these metaphors. And then the idea of art pieces and looking at an art piece as a, as a spark for conversation. So, well, speaking there's so of many values that I love that are here. So I just want to celebrate that and share that with you now on this. Maybe it's a birthday episode. I don't know. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Spark, <clears throat> I did want to go over a little bit over our, before we get to our common interests, the disagreements we've had over the research. And are you prepared to delve a little bit into it without, without any harm coming to you emotionally? I'm available for that. We've been working on this for a long time. It's really deepened our relationship. So you're making, to me, you're making a very private experience public. I'm going to ask you if you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah, I'm totally fine with it. The only thing is, um, well. uh, I'll be as authentic and as honest as I feel that I'm capable of being. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've always tried to do that. I'll trust your editing. Yes, that's pretty much it. It's basically, you know, it is authentic, but remember, this is not raw. This is edited. So what that means is the context will be removed slightly from someone, like, just listening into our conversation. Excuse me. So, yeah, so if you're okay with that and it being, you know, kind of boxed in the clues chronicle a little bit then um then it, it you know try it, it doesn't have to be a full you know full spectrum discussion we we can we can go a long ways i 
if you want to, I might have to take a bio break, but I just, I'm, I'm reminded of, okay, since we are talking about, um, family stuff, I'm reminded again of your, well, both, I want to bring your grandmother into this too, because she was as big a part in my life as your grandfather. But both of them were, we, they were seekers and they were in their context and they were true to the groups that they were with, but they were, they always withheld their own will and they didn't direct their will to authority very easily i mean it, it, yeah i understand what you're saying i'm remembering that romantically now because i've been on the wrong side of that but ultimately they continued in their life to develop and grow and mature and kept asking their own kinds of questions and as 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 the con as the challenges of the day were greater than the authorities around them they kept going back to their own determination and their own family determinations and their own circumstances and their own context and kind of real practical stuff. But I was formed by that and um, I, I see you doing that and I, and I wish you well in all of your future endeavors in, in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. I think they are here in some ways. Maybe not a corporal way. Um, wow, that's almost, that's kind of metaphysical, which is kind of fun too. Well, you know, I'm, it's borderline, right? I sometimes play with that. Um, so, about you and your childhood experience in authority, we've kind of got that covered. So before we get to the ISS and such, you know, what, what, how would you characterize our disagreement with the Vixen research? Can we pause? Yeah. I'll be right back. I just gotta take a break. I'll come back and then I'll be ready to address it. Okay. Okay. I'm just...
Now but, let's yeah. now let's yeah now Which let's conflict. wail yep. on it. So yep. <clears throat> where 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 does that disagreement start for you? Uh, no, nobody died. The idea that nobody died is problematic, or or even yeah. even saying that is seems uh, to be the issue. So when when the topic comes up, Vixim, I equate Vixim equals nobody died hmm. in my mind. Okay, and not the possibility that nobody died. Stand by. We're, we're going right to the argument. So yes, yeah. Okay. So the I don't I don't see it as a possibility that nobody died, and that maybe that's the maybe that's the crux of the disagreement. Is I don't. It's um. It's almost a. What is it? Wow. Yes. Okay. So I am. I am a believer. Yes. That I'll put it in this these terms. I am a believer that people died on that day, around the circumstances. I'll try to phrase it the best I can. You already have. That's great. There are events. There. Well. Be specific around the the date September eleventh, two thousand and one. There were some well known events in North America, specifically in New York State. You're you're not being specific, even though you say you were going to be specific. Well, because this marker goes up September eleventh. Okay. Yeah. And people died. That's my belief. Okay, so I can put it that way. If you want to hashtag it, September 11th, people died. If you want to do that, I don't know. I don't. I don't do hashtags. That do you? Long. May I ask you? Do me, you? It's a for me. It's a for me. It's a it's a it's a noun phrase that I believe. So to so to negate that noun phrase in my head is gives me great a de- great deal of trouble. Do you have a similar noun phrase for September 10th? You, oh, I haven't thought about that. September 10th, I think Rumsfeld announced one trillion missing. That's what, what that's where I go. But what I mean is, <clears throat> September 10th, people undoubtedly died. September oh. 11th, people undoubtedly died, and September 12th, people undoubtedly died. People continue to die every day. Yeah. So here, so we'll go I, here. We're we're playing around with these beliefs and stuff, and this is so. Here we are. We're in the argument. We're in the argument. So you're drawing me into the argument. That's okay. We can make this public. That's cool. I, I'm in the argument now with you. I have a belief that people died around the events equated with September 11th. And it's difficult for me to believe that people didn't lose their lives. Some people didn't lose their lives around that. I'll even go as a hashtag events. And so. Yeah, even as we're doing it this way, it's easier for me to open up the possibilities that no one died. But here's the here's here's where here's where I really had the most difficulty with the Vixim, and I think it was I think it was around the conversations that we had subsequent to it, and some of the some of the text that I read uh, on the at on the forum. Well, where there was a a meanness, there was mm-hmm. a it felt I felt like there was a meanness and a harshness that for non-believers, how am I going to put it? No, 
That's... Who might be agnostic. I mean, it, it's a religious. It's. I can only equate it to kind of religious terms. Yeah, There's, that makes sense. They're believers. They're non-believers. They're agnostics. Yep. We take sides, <clears throat> and then people start name calling, and then from that, you know, from that spot. This is where I go with these kinds of things, and so that's where I think our biggest disagreements were about that. Yes, the last thing I remember us settling on, which you felt was a pretty good, like a a, a place of agreement in our disagreement, <laughs> was that you f that we both agreed that Simon and I can tend to say provocative things in order in order to elicit a response which we don't necessarily fully commit ourselves to because i don't think even simon would necessarily say oh yeah 100% certain everyone died or nobody died you know it there isn't that certainty but we say the things in order to start the discussion and uh we agreed that that, that was was a, was a difficulty for you um and i think you probably also recognize that the difficulty for me was that something is taboo. And if something is taboo, I want to discuss it uh, sometimes. So even that, even that landscape, I'm not troubled by the main thing I was troubled by was when you and I were pitting ourselves on one side or the other of an idea hmm. that I was making a judgment about, your meanness that I didn't like. I didn't want to see, I didn't want to see the idea take you to a spot where you couldn't be compassionate for the people who may have died. Not, not even that, that what do they care? That's a that's irrelevant. Ah, <laughs> uh, for the families of people who may have died. That one, because people might be so fooled by the context that they may believe God, it's, uh, I don't even know if there's a philosophical term, but there must be. People might be so, if there's the possibility that no one died, which I, I'm open to, that there, there's also, there, I'm, I'm believing also with that, it's kind of a corollary, that there are, there, and it's this whole thing about family members, which I'm really now on the, boy, I'm so sensitized to that. Family and family members and how that's used. Oh my God. Hmm. Because it, this is how we get, get our, uh, this is how we get our compassion and our attention pulled into this. And we're all susceptible. And I don't mind that we're susceptible. I just think we have to be very, very careful to not discount the matters of the heart, not discount the matters of the unknown and, and recognize that you know, if people are being irrational, sometimes we have to be open to that irrationality and open up a wider space for the irrationality and err on the side of compassion, trying to open up the space so that fewer people are hurt. It's, yes, it's I good think for the is. most people. And so if we're attacking, if we're making arguments against, I'll say, family members, we can put it in bold, we can put it in italics, or we can leave it regular text, because those that's how charged that word is now for me. I hope that makes some sense. If we're putting language out 
accusatory language or somehow unsympathetic language out toward those folks, that was what was troubling me. That the, that the idea became so strong that we weren't able to withhold a certain kind of tongue talking about those folks, whoever those folks are. And, the, and uh, gosh, I'm not making sense, but I'm trying to. No, I think you're making a great deal of sense. And I think that that fear is what you're making space for. When you the talk, uncertainty. the uncertainty is what I'm trying to make space for. That right. We're yes. in a space where there's uncertainty. Let's not rush to condemn or to somehow make harsh judgment. Let's somehow make a little space to, to, Say, okay, for this moment, let's try to go in silence and see where we go. It's kind of a Quaker tradition. If we get so adamant, how do we stop the harming in the, in the moment and the instance that we're in to take uh, a pause to say, hang on, is the thing that we're really talking about right now so important in this moment that we might continue harming each other whether, regardless? Because that's, that's what bothers me a lot. And so I was trying, and then I was also, it's a parental, it's a parent-child relationship thing. And I'm sorry, I just feel a certain responsibility to say, gosh, leave a little space for uncertainty. Because that's a value I hold highly. Because mm-hmm. there are so many mysteries, I still retain, I guess I'm agnostic. You know, I, I, I have beliefs, but I'm, I'm, I be, I'm so uncertain too that my beliefs, I don't know that my beliefs are worth causing harm. And that is a, that maybe that's a, maybe that's a, um, maybe that's a fatal flaw. I'm not so sure because let's, let's accept a few things about life. I mean, we, we eat other life. Mm-hmm. We end other life in order to continue our own life. I'm more vegetarian than you, um, and I'm more interested in preventing loss of life through the meat industry and things like that. So I think you can recognize that I, I'm a very caring person and that if we were to ever begin to sense any kind of harm we were causing others, we would immediately be asking them to join us in our understanding and our quest to figure out what's going on. The thing is, as Simon and I have put out our feelers everywhere, you know, through every means available, uh, through the internet, through YouTube, you know, the, the need for a louder and louder voice seemed to be, be apparent to us because we weren't getting anything. We weren't even, it was like putting your hand through vapor and, and getting nothing. So there was no sense that we were in contact with, uh, anyone who would be harmed. And in fact, as we shouted, Hey, can we help anybody on the September clues.info site? We put, you know, if you know anybody in a red alert, that we put on a couple pages uh, at SeptemberClues.info, we say, if you know anybody, please contact us and let us work together to figure out what the heck is going on. We are open to, you know, real stories. So we've just, we've, we've felt like we've had to get 
uh, loud, but I don't think that we would be uncompassionate to anyone who tried to actually say, wait a minute, um, I have had questions, you know, actually, here's, here's my real story. The thing is, we have also run into a, a great deal of people who are fake crying, exploiting people's emotions like yourself and myself and everyone, or and traumatizing others while they are content to psychopathically manipulate the emotions of the public. And so I don't think we need to necessarily create heart space um, for psychopaths to harm us. I don't think we need to, you know, expose our chest and say, well, then do it. You know, I think maybe admitting that the population was traumatized by 9-11 is a good place to try and understand, I think, where head floss is coming from. I'm really, as a researcher, one of my goals is to have a keen emotional awareness of what's going on because the media its main tool is emotion, and that's how it attacks us. And emotion is, you know, it's unspoken. It's subliminal. So really having a super keen awareness of your emotions, especially, you know, around when you're listening to media or engaging in media, I think is key. And why would someone like Head Floss feel bad that we were, you know, perhaps not being compassionate enough and could you have been trained to feel that way by the media you watched or listened to? In America, we've gone through, it seems, one trauma after another, burying it in controversy and media and not creating enough space to just talk about things like slavery and genocide. Um, and at the same time that the media is shouting about those things, um, in certain ways, maybe some would argue some disingenuous ways, we end up trampling over the real healing that needs to happen. Right. But there is a caution with bringing up the past. They re-traumatize us by bringing up the past over and over. So I don't know about you, but if I want to, I had an Afri African American professor one time and I did an essay on how African-Americans were mistreated and she did not like it. I was just re-traumatizing her. And I'm like, I shouldn't have brought it up. I mean, some things happen and they're done. And I'm not sure we should be even be discussing it unless we see it happening again, as you know what I'm saying. But Actually, there is a possibility that everything we're doing, you know, the entire effort, September Clues, uh, all sorts of things. Or, okay, I won't criticize Simon's effort, which has changed so many people's lives for the better. And we've gotten so many comments and comments. Wow, I feel so free. I feel so great. This is so wonderful. You've really confirmed some things I've always suspected. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so many positive, affirmative comments. I, I won't critique right. those. But yeah, I'm prepared to critique my own efforts and say, yeah, I could be perceived as a troll, an emotional troll or something like that. Well, I still don't see the bad outweighing the good because really the the people who have critiqued us have been have they don't seem fully invested in one position or another they seem to be jumping on this sort of bandwagon of attacking things mm -hmm. and so i i don't i'm not convinced that even if i were to give in to them and say okay yeah you're right you know 
the magical number of 2,983 people died or whatever, that would still not satisfy that person because that person is not about this exchange of dialogue. That person is about simply dominating, belittling, and that kind of thing. That that will always be their mode, no matter what you give them. Uh, It's a kind of parasitic behavior. So in a way, the harsh and meanness that Headfloss points out, Dad points out um, about me is... It's legit, um, but I hope that he can recognize that uh, it's also just myself just being. I'm just, uh, the meanness is part of just my being around and asking questions. I haven't gotten people saying they're offended. I haven't had that once. I have not had people say, how dare you in such a way that I'm convinced that they actually care. But slightly, you know, a hurt feeling, I don't think, requires a written comment. It's just something you feel and then you move on. So that's that's good information. So I want to ask Ked Floss, then, what kind of words would have made you feel better? I was putting my anxiousness on what I perceived as attacks on people. That's what I was responding to. And this is very personal. I mean, it's super personal. These were conversations that, I mean, it, many conversations and it was in person over the phone skyping i mean there were multiple conversations where i was challenging this stuff and he was making himself known and um we were navigating this very very personal and private conversation so now we're making it public and it was more okay for me it's all right but we're also changing our frame because we're where um, I don't have the strong identity that Hoy has mm-hmm. with Clues Forum. Right. It's not my, I don't have the authorship on it. I'm, I don't have to defend it. That's not my right. thing. So that we're going back to the authorship piece. And I think this is when we birth something, when we feel a creative ownership. I mean, this is part of the deal where... You know, people take this to the extremes and they want to profit off it. Other people put it into the creative commons. Other people, it's more subtle. We feel that it's ours because it came through us. We authored it, even not knowing necessarily where the source was from. The idea of the Vixim thing, it's amazing. I mean, it was, to me, it was a extraordinary piece. It was a, the work that was put into that Vixim document. I when I looked at that, it looks as though it would be at least a a doctorate or a master's work. I mean, there was a lot of work put into that, and I could see how somebody would want to. In I in a, in the Western system, when you have that kind of authorship, you get attributed in you know a certain way. Um, but that wasn't Hoy's uh, reason for doing it. But yet, Hoy does have a personality and a there's a, you know, there's a psychology of ownership on it because it was birthed through Hoy. So I'm, I'm wondering about that as well in it. I mean, this is getting really deep, you guys. I, you know, I don't know. For me, it's getting deep. I don't know. Well, for it's, me, this is a very normal uh, level. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't, I don't feel it's so deep because uh, I could just frame it this way. I mean, uh, the Vixen Report is just an extension of my fandom of September Clues and the theories and the possibilities it presents. It's a celebration of 
the mind frame that and the point of view that September Clues puts us in, and it asks us to consider the possibility that nobody died on 9-11 because there's a great deal of evidence that the personalities that are uh, credited as victims are um, have been doctored or fictionalized in some way. So it's not so much that I feel authorship over the victim report specifically. It's more that I feel like the right to question important sociological phenomena is a right that everyone has, which I defend a number of ways, one of them being Clues Forum, another one being the Vixen Report, another one being Clues Chronicle. And in this, I'm, I'm hoping to include you and and have you feel empowered by the language rather than attacked. I'm not feeling attacked. Good. I'm rushing to defend those folks who might Feel attacked. I am all, here's the here's the deal. If there are, and I don't even know who these people are. You've apparently talked to some of these folks who say that they are related to people who were lost um, in the tower or rushing in to save, or you know, there are all kinds of narratives and stories that I am far removed from. But we're hearing, and there's a lot of stories coming out about these individuals and families and contexts and circumstances around the events of September 11th, 2001. I mean, there's a lot of material and we, and it keeps getting resurrected and we have these anniversaries and all this stuff. And we're hearing, you know, that's got a huge tail and it's, there's a mythology being created, very it, active mythology. And it's sponsored and it's a sponsored mythology. Yeah. There's a lot of energy put, put into, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money. Yeah, tons of money. Tons and tons of money is yeah, being put into this. Yeah, there's a lot. So this is the nature of the stories. This is the nature of culture. And, the, and it's the nature of state-created culture, yes. But do you think, for example, that... But clues I want to go back to the origins of it. You know, we, we kind of were... I was, you know, leading... I didn't want to rush right to the antecedents. I wanted to go back to the unknown origins. Yeah. The unknown origins are unknown origins for me. They right. were main unknown origins for me. I came, you know, it's similar to the mythologies that were built up around individuals that are very well known by many people. Martin Luther King Jr., John, John F. Kennedy. I mean, there are similar, really important forming stories around and mythologies, very active mythologies around these folks, good or bad. And the International that, Space Station. That, yeah, that's the topic of it. <laughs> yes, that's the topic of today, which is sort of one of my sort of least favorite things, but I was drawn into it. <laughs> yeah, but there it is. I mean, it's where it, the topic is what and, and what you are looking at is what. And I, and I believe I see what you're looking at is to look at ontologies. You're looking at these core narratives and the sources of them and to offer up the possibility of doubt. And it's a very, very important thing. Would you call that a, our common interest in this project that you call my authorship? I think it's important. I think it's a, I think, it, I, I, I think you're an artist. I think you're playing the role of an artist. And that is the the role of the artist. I think by definition, 
is to call into question our perceptions so that we are always wondering the really me- the real meanings, the real ontologies. Right. And don't you think we're that looking, we're looking you, at, I think you're playing in a, a really, really critical role. Well, thank and you. I, I take that as a compliment. Yeah. And, and the forum and the forum, too, and the art that you call September Clues. I think that that's the role of that piece. Can I piece. can I stretch out that compliment and try to glue it back to to the Vixen research and say, hey, this is an artistic work. You could consider it as an artistic work. It's not meant to harm anybody. I understand it that way. Our our arguments were very, very personal and private. That was between you and me. We're making it public now, and I'm trying to let you know, because I don't think I've identified you by name, the name that we gave you, (laughs) parents. I don't think I've identified you except by Hoy. Yeah. So right now, you're an alter ego in this conversation. But still, you know, there's another name you have, and that's a name your parents gave you. But by that, there's another you. I mean, you've got, you're layered even in you, and, and you're showing up by voice, and I'm showing up by voice, and Kay's here with us in this conversation, and then we build it from there. This is very, very, this is this is very existential, very ontological, very philosophical stuff. But is it fun? It's, it's, what would I rather be doing with language than this? Fantastic. All right. So, let's move on. <laughs> I think well, this is a just real- about language for a sec. Um, <laughs> head flush, you're like totally tapped into empathy and stuff. So maybe later I would love to get together with you and discuss wording and semantics and stuff. Because, you know, if, if you're tapped into how the, the actual, you know, the common people feel, because I'm not, maybe I'm autistic. I don't know. But I would like to take advantage of that and then to help people. Maybe put things in words that are more inviting that they can accept easier for a good reason. Do you mind if I pick your ear on that one day? I appreciate that. And I, yes, I appreciate that. Absolutely. That'd be wonderful. Nice one, Kay. Yeah. Thank you. This is a very heady thing, but I, I think there's a mind of the head and there's a mind of the heart. And my preference, I think, in our best moments is to pay attention to the mind of the heart. Absolutely. I think a balance is also really important, and I try to focus on that. I get that. Well, so there's a sponsored art form, which is getting tons of money fed into it, but the Clues Chronicle is never going to explode. It's never going to be a promoted thing uh, on the mainstream media where hundreds of millions of people are exposed to it in a kind of subconscious way. This is... You say we're cultural creators here, but I think uh, uh, we need to make a distinct difference here between what we're doing and what the people who are creating the hoaxes are doing. Because there's uh, similar technical skills sometimes involved, but I think when you talk about using your heart instead of using your head, we've got a lot more heart here in what we're doing. And what we're trying to do is reach out to people and say, Hey, you're there. I'm here. I see you. Namaste, all that. But did you get that sense when you saw the moon landings? Did you feel that that was an art? I mean, undoubtedly, if it's fake, it's a it's an artistic work of some kind, unless you want to define art as having to, you know, benefit the public in 
in a specific way that it doesn't qualify for it for you. But did you feel that when you were, you said that that was like your first experience of television in a way. And I want to hear a bit about that if you are comfortable transitioning to that topic in a way. Absolutely. So the moon landing experience, um, when I think back about my memories about that, I had two older brothers who were really into it, very, very excited, geeky science guys. They were school-age kids. I was school-age kid. I was a child with two older brothers and a younger brother who, I don't know how much he was into it. I'm not sure. There we are in our context. The night of the moon landing, I don't know where our parents were. I was thinking about that recently, too. I don't know where what our parents were doing. I was just in this family context where I was happy to be, I mean, I was pretty joyful and happy in a family. Was the television the oldest brother? The television was our companion, I think, that night. I think that's a, we can anthropomorphize the TV that way. Yeah, it was another, you know, it was the entertainer in the room. The topic of the day apparently was a, this, this exciting event. Let's tune in. And I mean, that was kind of, wow, you know, this amazing thing. It was exciting, and I was excited to be around my family, and they were excited. I was feeling the anticipation of this great event. What is it? I don't have any understanding of it. What's going? Tell me what's going on. I had to have my brothers explain to me, you know, what what's happening. What are you seeing? You know, what is that? What is? It? What are these things? I mean, it was all. Um, why circus tent comes to mind, but it was, you know, <laughs> you know I suppose we had some bread. Now we're going to have a circus. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, you know, it comes to mind right now, but we were, I was an enthusiastic viewer. It, and, it, it wasn't a worrisome thing. It was, it felt like it was a wonderful, joyful thing and, and exciting, you know. Like a celebration of human spirit as it was marketed as. I suppose there was a flag around. I don't know. I just, it felt like a great home experience, really modern, you know, whiz bang. Okay. Let's say whiz bang. Cause that might have, I don't know what the terms were. What, what's the year of that? It would have been 1969. 69, 10 years old. Okay. Huh. There I am. Prepubescent. Pretty excited about life. I don't know, come to think of it, you know, there was a lot of tragedy, and and I can see why uh, this would have been a fun, fun, sort of a safe thing to 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 see and pay attention to. So you're what, fourth grade, fifth grade? What what, what are you when you're ten? Yeah, something like that. Fourth grade, yeah. Yeah, working out my you know wanting to be a saint thing. <laughs> It's funny because it's almost as if now that you mention it, really full on domesticated. I'm into this. Let's go. You know, whatever the world's good for me. I'm safe. I'm in a safe spot, generally speaking. And that came to me a little later after that about this link to the military and patriotism and who our enemy was. So it's almost as if the 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 I don't know the assassinations that were happening at the time might have been making people wary of the television and then the moon landings were kind of like they're there kind of pat on the- so it wasn't that smart I mean I have an emotional response of when I think about that time too very very feeling very very vulnerable when we go back to JFK 
And Martin Luther King was the one that really struck me emotionally more than JFK even for some reason. Yeah, me too. Um, and I wasn't even alive at the time, but it's still like, it's very, uh, yeah, it's a well, tra- was, traumatizing we were, thing. Yeah, and we were getting it, I was, we were getting it, you know, there too through the television and uh, through the radio, so we were getting it over the media devices. But then around the time that you were questioning the seminary and all that, um, were you also, I mean, when did your interest in astronomy and, and space exploration and stuff uh, come into play? Or were they separate worlds? And did you ever come to the point where you're actually kind of wondering, wait, what is this cosmology if it's not the way it says it's in the Bible? A big part of my joy and wonder of experience at seminary was that we had a 21-inch reflective telescope. It was So it was the it was the second most powerful telescope in the state behind St. Thomas. And I was on the club that was interested in that. And I was even given the responsibility to go out there and do stuff with it. So I was into using that and looking at the sun and counting solar spots on the sun when I was there at seminary. Wow. That's a fascinating connection. I had no idea. We had a, let's see, he was an undergraduate who taught us because we, we were astronomy club and we were taught about nebulae and all these amazing things that were in the world at the same time we were being taught about uh, theology and religion and so they came together to me ah that makes sense yes they would be coming together it would be the church marrying modern science and you were looking uh, at god through a telescope I guess that was another way to worship at that time because it was so phenomenal. I loved biology and science. All of it pointed to the complexity of the creation for me, which I still kind of wonder at. I still have religious language that I can use to go there. And I would, I would say universal revelation is a term that's a religious term that says that if people want to remain agnostic, cool. But if there is a God, God is revealed in uh, the beauty of what's revealed in the creation. And it's a phenomenological, there's a wonderful word I enjoy now. It's the phenomenon. How we experience the wonder of the creation is phenomenon. I was blessed, I'm blessed with vision, one of my best mm. things I love. You know, hearing all my senses, all senses, all my senses. I share that with my Native American brothers and sisters who have a similar kind of cosmology. Mm, that's beautiful. I, I think a lot of people would, I think at a basic level, they can respect that. And I think that's why they could respect our research trying to defend that and separate that from the simulation. And say that when someone is telling you the world is one way with, with a cartoon, you know, you can say, well, that's a piece of art. But if they're not telling you or letting on that it's a piece of art, if they want you to feel that that's reality, that seems like a insult almost to that mentality. It's good enough the way it is. We don't have to spoil it with artificial flavors of experience. You know, why not just Thank take... you. Yeah. Huh? Why don't you, we just take it straight up. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Don't ruin my real life with your garbage. Get that out of there. 
Exactly. Thank yeah. you. That's very well said. Why do we want to, you know, and it happens in the grocery store, too. I, I do. <laughs> That's really- right. Oh, my gosh. We could go on and on about uh, health food things. I think the meaning and purpose is for truth finding and truth telling. So that's what I love about the forum and that's what I like you know, about the work. All right. Thank you. What yeah, a great I mean, segue. It all it all fits in. It's really it's a good way and 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 this is a great entry point for people cuz a lot of people are whatever, nihilistic or so frustrated and I feel like this is a healthy way entry point into this there's a word I'd like to use. It's not a religious word. <laughs> loving life. Yeah, loving life is yeah. pretty darn close to what I feel when I'm making this. Now we're going to talk about something almost mundane and boring by comparison, as you've already said. But anyway, after the break, we'll take a look at the International Space Station thread on info. Are you ready for that, Dad? I'm, I'm happy about the mind-boggling and the heart-swelling I'm having right now. Thank you very much. Oh, that's nice. Well, thank you. And now, this. Far up in the sky, I see a sunlight.
So now everyone, we're looking at the thread at Clues Forum called Fakery in Orbit, the International Space Station. I was wondering what Kay and Headfloss have to say about the thread so far. Well, I like the hair videos myself. I'm a female. I'm interested in hairdos. And um, I have to say that <laughs> I wish I could be more sophisticated, but it attracts me the most because it's so blatantly gelled up hair and I... Hard to get past that one. I see. So you're talking about when they try to fake space travel hair by just rigging it up in some way, probably with yeah. gel or something. Yeah, some product to make it artificially stick straight out as if they were in space and gravity was pulling it in every direction, which is not the case. That's funny. Yeah, the hair is distracting. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I wonder about that hair stuff. Why they gotta go there? Should we just talk for an hour about their hair? Is that where we're going? <laughs> no, but I'm I'm hoping head floss has a more sophisticated response than mine. The things I'm caught by are the wanderings. Uh, I mean, this is a this is kind of a new this is a new area for me. I disregarded the the space station because it came in at a time for me. I think it was Ronald Reagan and. There was, uh, he was really militaristic. And so I sort of equate it to a military industrial complex thing. And I'm kind of confused about how we're partnering and what is that? So it's, it's interesting that way. How, what, what is that? What is that about? But when I look at these images, I'm really drawn in. I haven't really paid much attention to the images or for this space station. And I'm drawn to the wonderings about, uh, the backgrounds and what we're seeing, what we're seeing and how it relates to what, what might really be there. I'm interested in horizons. I'm interested in what happens when we get a glimpse at the horizons obliquely, the atmosphere on the horizon and then deep space and what we would see in deep space, stars and all that. So perspective and the photography, it catches my eye. And there's been a lot of comments about that. And then how things behave, apparently, in weightlessness. Some of the images about, I thought I saw in one video, an orange appear right out of kind of nowhere. It looked really, really unusual. I haven't seen that on, on the ground. Maybe that, those kinds of things happen in space. But that seems a little miraculous from my, from my experience. I mean, there's some quirky... Unusual things that are being depicted and shown, and it's I now I'm drawn into wanting to be critical of what I'm seeing a lot. You know, so. Well, yeah, there are a bunch of very unusual things we're seeing, and I think that is 
a good way of saying what I got from the thread too, which is, you know, yeah, we can question things on all these different levels, but there's something very culturally awkward about the International Space Station. And I don't think it's just because of the the political discourse we're supposed to be having about Russia and America and all that. Actually, there's an argument on the first page I want to mention because uh, for me, it is a way of framing the entire way we might look at the arguments between ontologies. So if you don't mind. Page one. Yeah. Uh, you have a character astronaut and the other, Galaxander, both of whom claim they photographed the ISS using telescopes and are presenting their evidence in different ways. Astronaut tries to make images speak for himself, the images he claims to have collected by means he claims to honestly describe. And Galaxander uses more arguments and words. So I don't know if you noticed, but that is essentially the debate outlined by Portman from the opening of this episode of the Clues Chronicle, as we discussed earlier. Images versus words. Images versus discussion for framing belief. Someone on, in the thread discovered this debate that's being held off of Clues Forum in it looked like a conspiracy website or something with the astronaut versus Galaxander, and you can see them arguing dozens of tiny minutiae that all comes down to the difference in ontology. I wanted to say that because throughout this entire thread, there's tons of that little stuff. We're not going to do that. For example, their arguments quickly went to the disintegration effects of ultraviolet light on titanium oxide surfaces, <laughs> which actually they both you know, took a stance on. But that becomes a matter of memorized formulas butting heads um, while neither of them were actually prepared to get out their chemistry kits. So when we talk of all the ways we can disagree or our differences, uh, just like my father and I disagree about victims or the language of victims, what it really comes down to is, uh, once more, in case people aren't getting the picture yet, after nearly a decade of this research constantly showing us this, it is how we each interpret data with our own senses that is often the discussion. And we represent, as those interested in September Clues and Clues Forum, a sample of those who believe in respecting the fact that we can be fooled so very easily by imagery. People don't seem to think that fact matters to people in power because I guess they think people in power are dumb or too dumb to use imagery to fool clever people such as themselves. But in any case, we aim to face that stuff as much as possible. Yes, makes sense. So the way the reason I'm saying this is because how to treat people is the core subject of many family dynamics and many discussions. Even That subject even came up just now when Hedfloss and I were talking about uh, ourselves. I mean, how to treat people is actually at the underpinning of almost all these supposedly scientific arguments. And one thing that is most revealing, in my opinion, about the difference between the alleged debate between NASA proponent astronaut and NASA skeptic Galaxander is that one began by using their ontology as a psychological weapon, whereas the other did not. So astronaut basically presented the moving images of the ISS 
with an implied but unstated belief that images must be taken as evidence and said his gang of believers was very large. Whereas Alexander, who started the thread, began by simply asking the question, where does my evidence stand in the realm of ideas? My telescopic observation with, with extremely clear focus tells me that what I observed was a round, vaguely yellow, glowing sphere, uh, roughly 40 meters in diameter, rather than the detailed mechanism shown in NASA's computer-generated imagery of what they claim is the ISS. So astronauts said, you cannot have observed that, I don't respect your observation, and you you need to respect mine instead. You're doing it wrong, right? So that's that's an attack. What we're trying to do is say, um, okay, you're presenting the evidence, but you're also presenting this ontology of how to treat people with it. Yeah, that's the that's one of the main differences I see in NASA believers and people who are skeptical of this now. They want to be able to ask a question, and people will actually come and say, you cannot hold that opinion. You are not allowed to hold that opinion. And that language shows up in this thread, too. Right. It's a big belief system <laughs> they have. It is. It's a, it's a religion. So are you willing to take on the challenge of helping people talk about their beliefs in ways that are um, respectful of one another? Absolutely. I think that that's what Clues Forum often demonstrates better than uh, mainstream culture sometimes because we say, yeah, you're allowed to not trust me or you're not, you're, you're allowed to not trust this thing. It's okay. Instead of, well, you must do this. And if you don't, you're just an unacceptable human being, you know? Well, that would be a very, that'd be a wonderful thing to have. I think it would draw people in to have a place where I think it's apparent that you, you try to do that to a certain extent. Maybe <laughs> maybe we don't succeed. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Well, it's hard because people show up, you know, people show up and they don't necessarily, they're showing up. I don't know that they recognize the culture that's already created. How, how aware is anyone when they're walking around in the world and showing up in their space? I mean, in, uh, this is a virtual space. It's kind of, it, it's, but it's, we, we experience people showing up in rooms and not necessarily being aware of their space, right? And, and so it, it happens here too. Well, as Kay said, I think that it's not that they don't recognize our, our culture, although that is a good way of approaching it. I hear what you're saying. For me, it's, it's more that they don't recognize our language. They don't, we seem to be speaking a foreign language to them. And oh. they're they trying to correct our language and they're trying to say, no, you don't talk about it that way, you talk about it this way. And we're saying, no, actually, this is the way that we're actually talking about it. And there seems to be this incredulity that we are actually using the language in this particular way. Uh, we don't want to force anybody to use this language, but we just want to create a safe space to talk about things in a way that doesn't use as much neuro-linguistic programming, I guess, you know, trigger words like, you know, you, you must believe this or, or are you saying we're all in a conspiracy together? You know, that kind of language. We don't use that language. And common definitions. That's yeah. That's the, the biggest part of language. If we can't agree on what the definition, I mean, this is what I think the COINTEL, they do so expertly. They take vaguely common words, but that have different meanings in different subgroups. So we think we're talking the same language, but we're not. Mm. 
Yeah, and people do lie to one another. They enjoy lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. what, and what's more, many people even enjoy being lied to if it fits with their beliefs or in NASA's case, perhaps their hopes, because NASA is all about, you know, we will achieve so much when we leave this planet and that kind of thing. I think that when NASA believers show up, they try to explain away the fakery and the strange things that we're observing here by saying that people make mistakes. It rather dodges the point that uh, people make people make mistakes, if that makes sense. Force them to make mistakes. It's, it's a trap sometimes. So yes, people make mistakes, but if you're if you don't recognize, oh wait, there's this contradiction here. Again, as Portman said, most people have a distaste for contradiction. And all we're pointing out here is there's some contradictions here in the imagery. It doesn't look like what they say it looks like. But, you know, every every time someone's beliefs are challenged, there is a bit of trauma. There always is. So I just I want to just say, yeah, there is going to be trauma, but let's work past the trauma, you know, mm-hmm. that you have to learn something new and explore that. I think I think it's good to talk about it sometimes, just to say, yeah, that's why we don't want to believe new things, because it, it hurts sometimes. Wow. You know, I feel like Dad really contributes to the discussion in a way that matches his pseudonym. Like, I feel like my head is being flossed. <laughs> <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard in other um, conversations you've had where you've asked people to talk about their monikers yeah i feel like you do that i mean we've gotten so fucking deep in this clues chronicle and we haven't even talked about the iss yet so but first head floss we need to find out where he came up with that (laughs) oh well i think well we don't the metaphor is about dental floss right that's the so how do we clean the plaque off so we're hoping that there's a tool i'm not claiming to be that tool but it's a it's a suggestion that there is a possibility that we can clear some of the plaque from our heads if we if we have the right tool. It's I, just, I've heard the pun as mental floss sometimes. Yeah, mental yeah. floss. Yeah, yeah, I think that was taken though. So floss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of, it's roughly that. So just trying to trying to clear out some of that. I don't know. I get I'm awfully confused oftentimes. So. It's a hope, I think, more than a, you know. Maybe it's a suggestion that it's possible. On the third post by Simon Shack on June 11th, 2011, he says, "Now naysayers may say, hey, what about the ISS itself? Then I can see it with my home telescope. Well, I don't have a knowledgeable take on that at this moment, but I hope to buy myself a decent telescope in the near future." in order to personally verify what this guy has to say. And then he quotes from Galexander. And that quote is taken from the links there, clubconspiracy.com and webspawner.com links. Gosh. And so I I got distracted on page oh, one. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to read the 84-page thread here on Cluesform, and yeah. I clicked on that link, and oh. I ended up getting caught up in a long discussion between him and Astronaut. Um, oh, I see. Okay, sorry, I didn't follow that. Oh no, that's quite all right. It's not obvious. What do you th- What do you make of Simon's point that about this Wonderbolt thing? Well, that's a different thread. I don't know if we have to go over that, but the idea is that there's this one single bolt holding, uh, you know, this eight thousand mile per hour spacecraft to a 
to a fuel tank and there's so much vibration and everything that it seems absurd that this bolt even if it is like the size of a human arm or or a leg that it seems a bit weak to be holding an entire shuttle what's um, the third bolt right the wonder bolt there's two at the bottom right and one at the top so i mean seriously all three are wonder but this is wonder wonderful <laughs> Yeah, this this one is truly wonderful because with it just goes click and then the shuttle just kind of lifts off and uh, goes out into outer space after that. You know, I looked for the schematics where the explosive bolts were, and they're not at the top; they're at the bottom. So even the schematics don't have any explanation of how that separates. Well, let's be careful about saying "have no explanation" because, to be fair, as soon as we say they have no explanation. They will whip out something, even if they pull it from, you know, a dark place on their body. But okay, so you're you have a scientific mind. Yes, yes, me and uh, the scientists, Uh, we get along, you know. You get along. So here's another point. If you scroll down on page one, you see an airplane view looking out on a wing. It's about, I'd say, a third of the way down the page. Yes, where they're comparing the heights of a. How the clouds look on Earth and land masses compared to, from a plane to the space station, right? We're looking at about, you know, 10, 11K above the planet in an, in a normal airplane flight, flight. I've seen this countless times actually at this point. But then we have a view that's supposedly, uh, what is that? Almost 300 kilometers up. He's asking, is this real? Is this legit? Is this what we would really see? Here with this um, this thing superimposed on a uh, what looks at first glance like a comparable view. Simon is saying it's 27 times higher. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> 27 times, not double. You yeah, know, not three times, not four times. 27 times. Are those clouds 27 times smaller there on the the higher up view? I don't know. I mean, for me, this isn't Simon's strongest argument because. I would expect as you get higher and higher, you will end up seeing about the same, you know, the atmosphere stops at a certain point. So it doesn't just get more and more hazy. It would become, it would, it would be comparable in, uh, color and clouds. I don't know. Kind of like fractally, it might look the same as you kind of zoom out. Yeah, almost. But although, although making that point is, that is a good point actually, that it might not, look at all like that and who would know how would we know if if nasa is the only entity you know aside from esa or whatever these these collaborating space organizations are the only groups this is the only circle that will that will show us these pictures we don't have anything else except faith i'm drawn to these kind of images because they help me wonder about perspective and then question marks do go up otherwise i'm otherwise i don't even care really so i appreciate these perspectives quite a bit how about the next set of images where it says the wondrous batship you know simon shack is saying on june 23rd 2011 let's take a closer look at nasa's international space station It's a truly spectacular space vehicle, which at first look instantly evokes the science fiction movies of our childhood. They tell us it has been gradually put together over the years with parts delivered by the space shuttles and the Soyuz modules. 
It reportedly circles around the Earth in low orbit at an average speed of 27,700 kilometers an hour and at an average altitude of 350 kilometers or so. The valiant astronauts, we are told, perform perilous spacewalks to assemble, screw, and bolt the various parts together, be they solar panels, oxygen tanks, scientific equipment, or whatnot. Here we have four pictures of what I will affectionately, he says in quotes, call the Batship, as released by NASA in recent years. And now there are just four images of um, purportedly the same thing that we're looking at, the ISS. Are they supposed to be different colors? Is that a big deal, too? Different? They, you know, if I looked at each of the panel grids, they seem to be different. Their yeah. width and length also alter the, of those solar panels. Yeah, I'd say the the context is probably changing between these. And so, gosh, I, I hate to sound like so wishy-washy on this, but for me... I think the main thing that, that stands out is the panel, the solar panels and the pylons between the solar panels, uh, seem to dramatically change in color and, and architecture. Now, are, are these supposed to be, uh, as clues forum people looking, are, are we assuming these are digital images, model, pictures of models or what not is the feeling here? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, we have to ask ourselves, is this possible with models? Is this possible with CGI? Is this possible with real straight-up photography? And for me, right away, the problem that I see is the way the horizon appears. I've also noticed there's no stars at all in any of these. There might be a star in one of them, but that could be dust. (laughs) It could be a pixel on my screen that I'd wipe away. Um, There's a suspicious horizon, which, as Headfloss says, it makes us question the horizon and what that is and what it it would be. Could this be done with CGI? Could this be done with miniatures? I'd say yes to both. Well, people are working on something, right? (laughs) They're spending hours and hours doing it. Why not miniatures? Well, yeah, that's the thing that also I wonder about the people who work on this and... It made me realize that if it's fake, a sad prospect is the people who genuinely care about this and are dedicating their time. And if you think about that, what that means is these genius, maybe slightly nerdy people, uh, maybe very nerdy, (laughs) are making some of the most amazing, sophisticated technologies, or so they perceive, and handing them to, for lack of a better term, a like a scam artist of an organization. And that's sad. That means people who are working their butts off making something that they think will go up into outer space, they're saying, well, thank you very much, and then we'll bring it behind this door, and we'll show you some computer-generated images of the thing that you designed in space for your you know, approval and happiness. And what that does is it creates the entire system where people happily pour all their knowledge and sweat and tears into this sham organization. And it's a way for the government oh. to control technology. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's such a scam. I think one of the biggest scams is that they have never had a successful practice of a prototype of any lander Ever. Are you saying that they always yeah, malfunction, or what's going on? Usually they malfunction, and then they never even try anymore. I think we're at a point. <laughs> just stop trying. They just go, no, no, atmosphere's different. It's not going to work. But then how? So miraculously, the first time then. So what we're looking at is 
that absolutely very first time this machine has ever been tested is when they land on Mars or when they land on Mars. You get these images of all the young NASA people cheering in the control room. And yeah, can we believe in this? It's very storytelling, right? Can we believe in this tension? And then, yes, we can believe in NASA. Oh, my God. Praise (laughs) NASA. Is that a belief system? I believe we're back at that. So I'm struck by these seeming like they are promotional shots of a product called Space Station. (laughs) And I'm struck by also, I'm so enthused by seeing stars at night and we're looking for clear skies because I live in an urban setting. and We love our night skies, clear skies, and the stars open up and it's really a glorious thing. It's so it's so absent here. Wow, I would think that we would these stars would be so apparent, and I don't know. Maybe they have to kind of Photoshop that and blank that out so they don't distract from the this thing, this object that they're promoting. I'm not sure. And and who's taking the photo? Are we are we coming? We're we're in a spacecraft coming up on this thing. I always wonder that is like. Or are we are you in a spacesuit flying away from it to get a photo like a it's not really a selfie. Or is it a some kind of a selfie? They shoot it out and on a some kind of a tether that's not seen to take a photo back to say, hey That is exactly that's, always you know, my question. Who's taking a picture of the right. thing? Exactly. Yeah, yeah the, so this thing is the subject of the photo for what purpose? Not quite sure. Missing the stars. I really, I really am missing the stars. It seems we're missing information. And why would they, it, why would they, first of all, omit all that fascinating information? You know, who took the picture, what the spacewalk was like, what camera they used in every single one of these would be fascinating stories into themselves. But then removing information such as stars seems just, uh, yeah, I, I, how can you justify that? That's interesting. Not quite sure. I see. I'm telling you, I'm not all that excited about this thing. I, I'm amazed. Okay, here it is. Wow. Okay, it looks like some kind of solar panel thing. But aren't you glad that one percent of your taxes are going to to uh, NASA? Is it that? High? I think. I think they said something. I think it was um, um not Michio Kaku. Neil deGrasse Tyson. The head of- Oh, Neil, Neil yeah. him, the spokesperson. Yeah, Neil deGrasse dude. Tyson said, said you know, not. was something like calling for a, you know, let's raise, let's raise taxes, let's make it so that NASA gets a full one percent or something. Well, I looked it up; they get like one, they get over one percent already. So his camp, his whole campaign was just another way to drum up money for funnel it to NASA. So you said when you first heard about the space station, you felt like it was like a military thing. Yeah. So going through the clues form thread, do you still feel like it's a military thing? I'm not quite sure. It just seems like it's so branded. And I am, I'm really suspicious of the military industrial complex. Um, this is a pretty big thing. How did it get up there? It must have been so. Yeah, they're claiming, you know, over time they assembled it. I went to the NASA site to see if we can get some of those historic shots. And I wasn't really getting a good view of how it was put together piece by piece. So that I'm missing that. Yeah. I don't get space. So space is a void, but there's also a lot of stuff flying around. This looks a little delicate to be mm-hmm. in such a 
I think it's kind of maybe there's nothing out there. I I'm confused about that in my own head. It just seems a little delicate. It's a we've been taught it's a vacuum. There's nothing in the vacuum. Right. Except they keep they keep trying to fill our heads full of what is what is there, which is, you know, tiny meteorites shooting shooting by at such incredible speeds that it would punch holes in this tin can, you know. These these fabric looking solar panels would just be decimated if we're supposed to believe one of the stories. And they say, oh, well, we have shielding. They say, well, we've got, you know, thousands of shields, but do you, I don't see any shields on this, on this, uh, fabric like solar panel stuff. So do, what, do, do they don't. fire shields out in like a science fiction type way? Do they, is it an energy shield? What, what are these shields that they're saying, um, magically protect this fragile fabric from, you know, these things shooting by at thousands of miles per second or something. I did see there was one segment here that was describing fixing a panel. It looks like somehow there was a rip and they had to kind of stitch it up. I don't understand how the rip occurred. I did see we saw how the, we sort of saw how the stitching process was going. Oh, it looks like Kay has a video of, <laughs> of the uh, the Lego kit that they uh, they show us how it was constructed. Oh, that's it. Yeah, if you'd like to see a computer animated cartoon. Oh, shoot. No, I was looking. It seems like we'd have a lot more. That's what NASA gives you. This is what they do. You don't get to see the real life. You get to see their computer animated. And each section that's put together came in the cargo hole of a, whatchamacallit. Of a shuttle or so. Yeah, yeah. I'm old. I'm kind of old school. I like photographs. I. I'm old school. Though. But what do you think about um, the idea that there's so much radiation in space that the photographs just wouldn't even work? Photography just would fail. I am not up to speed on that. I'm sorry. No, it's quite all right. I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant about those topics. Well, I'm just expressing, I'm sharing your confusion about it because it seems like we get a lot of contradictory stories. So radiation in space messes up the process where light impacts a film on a piece of paper and it just it won't work the same right way. or uh silver coated what have you or even a or even it's, a chip you know the the radiation would uh, destroy the uh oh, but uh, of course they say there's shielding and so on i'm just exploring these topics and it seems like when they do release so-called pictures or evidence of their story you end up with weird things like if you go to page two of the thread and scroll down to the post entitled Solar Panel Ripoff. Oh, here's where I see the rip A, rip B yeah. thing. How did it get That's ripped? it. Yeah, Simon is wondering, are the are the solar panels made of thin tinfoil? And and you can see that it has this that has that quality of being made of some kind of uh maybe photovoltaic or some kind of material. And then if you go to the bottom, you can see two images of the supposed incident. One, you have a foreshortened view where you're seeing these ridges, and he's labeled them Rip B and Rip A. And then if you go down just below that, there's the non-foreshortened view. It's more like isometric view. And he's also pointing out Rip A and Rip B. And you can see that A, B, and C, those little dots, are inconsistent with each other. It's almost as if A and C got filled in with some white thing, whereas in the original picture, they're 
hollow or empty appearing. And similarly, three seems to have lost its white filling and become empty. It's almost as if they just weren't really paying attention when they were doctoring up these images, and they couldn't keep a consistent design of the solar panels. Uh, the right-hand set of circles are hollow, and the left-hand are all filled in, whereas if you look at the corresponding ones in the picture below, it's a bit more ad hoc. <laughs> right, you have fill, 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 hollow, hollow, fill, hollow fill hollow, write the orders. Yeah, it's almost randomized. It's not, as he as he comments, it's not even close. And this adds to the confusion about what are the colors exactly supposed to be on these panels? And what is the design of that pylon supposed to be that's, that's extending out or this collapsible pylon thing? So yeah, I think we're asking pretty legitimate questions here about the photographs. Why are there no stars? Yeah, Scott casts no shadow. Do you see that text over that? Yeah. In that one, I mean, it's up above the rips. Man, I would think that that would that would be a background of a glorious star field. Wow, what's going on? I, I'm sort of. But blessed. are they in space? Oh, gosh. Are they even in space here, or is this? A pool tank where they do a lot of the testing with this gear. Could you say for certain that this isn't studio lighting? Or, I mean, this is what... Or digital image. Yeah, as, kids, as kids, we were taught that they they did a lot of the testing in places that were right on Earth. So, you know, that's a fair question. Why wouldn't it just be a lot cheaper to, to continue? In It'd certainly be safer if, if all the things they say in space are in space, <laughs> like uh, meteors the size of a fist traveling at the speed of a bullet, radiation, the risk of drifting off and burning up in Earth's atmosphere, the the risk of flo- floating off into space forever and you know not having any way of coming back. There's a lot of things that it seems like you wouldn't really want to risk and would just risk getting the entire program shut down. Like in the movie Gravity, where space junk kills everybody? Supposing they have uh, the real information about what's going on. Little known fact about the movie Gravity, it was first made 100% digitally. Every scene was digital at first. Uh, It's not that way now? Well, there's a few scenes where... They put live actors in, and of course they had to superimpose Sanders' face okay. on a few things. But the they used, you know, like a, I don't know, some actress instead, just as a placeholder, mm. di- digital image. I mean, of an actress in a pl- as a placeholder. So the hundred, the whole movie, hundred percent digital. Well, how do we know that they actually took Sandra Bullock's face in a sense? What if they simply scanned her? And then added a digital version of her. So in other words, they didn't even have to film her. They could have, they could have just um, right? yeah. used her face to animate a robotically captured a model, a 3D model. And I have a feeling it's that movie's 100% digital, but they don't want to give that away. I think that's true because they don't want to give away their technology. They don't want to admit that they they have the capability of fooling people to that level. Right. And th- but they admit 80% of the movie's digital. Sure, they have to admit that it's fake, but they can mix up or get involved in the control of information about what is or what isn't. And the whole thing, since it's clearly tied up with NASA, active 
willing, psyopy kind of liars like George Clooney and that sort of thing. Um, of course, of course, it has to be a, a control of information, even about the promotion of the movie. I mean, they would probably happily promote conspiracy theories about the movie just to get people into the into the audience and pay the ticket price. Right. But I think like the general public thinks part of gravity was actually filmed up in space. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out for for us to think about, because I know a few people who mentioned that might have occurred. I'm like, what? So we got a lot to deal with, folks, but we can get there. <laughs> we can get there. I wasn't too excited about Gravity, nor Mars, the movies. I think I saw both of them. And I, I just felt like it was an extension of this campaign. You know, it's a, it's, yeah, it's, a can, it's like a promotion. It, they're promoting NASA. And I just keep putting it in the category of military-industrial complex. And I'm uncertain and uneasy about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about the ISS, that's the International Space Station, right? There's a, I was talking with somebody recently about, there's an application that you can get, and you can find out when it passes over your area. Yes, you can actually go to a website and uh, watch for this light. It does seem to be a light. I mean, it's an observable thing. But as I addressed at the start, there's an ontological difference about what is acceptable observation of this thing when you observe it as just a perfectly round sphere people get upset at you and they yell at you about it i think a challenge that we could offer ourselves if we really wanted to get into this um, i know that you're saying it's you know it doesn't really hold your interest but if we really wanted to have a position on it we ought to just get telescopes make an observation and then come back and report what it is that we saw did we make out anything besides an orange ball or a yellow ball? My experience with night sighting is it's it would be extremely difficult to to find. I found it difficult to find planets. And if <laughs> if you find a planet, it's very difficult to track it. You have to have a mechanism that will track that because of the movements yes. that are going on. And but you can sight if you do by eye or even with a pair of binoculars and look up, mm -hmm. you can see things in the night sky that are moving pretty quickly. But then the question for me becomes, because the ISS is visible as a bright light, even in Earth's shadow, you understand, even in Earth's umbra, where no sunlight uh, could be reaching it, what the hell is lighting it up? And what kind of powerful light can be shining from 300 kilometers away and still be seen you know if this if it is only 40 meters across we're not talking about you know giant balls of uh of uh plasma or whatever the heck they say uh, stars are now we're talking about a tiny object not much greater yeah. than the size of a jet emitting that much light and just glowing consistently as it crosses the sky. I wonder about that. Doesn't it blink, though? It's not a consistent light. It's a blink light. Uh, so does it blink consistently? Is It's not like a flash as in a glint, but it is almost right. as if it were a robotic on-off, on-off? As, as if it were a, the uh, running lights of a vehicle approved by the FAA. 
Yes, it's almost as if that would mean it were some kind of high-altitude aircraft rather mm-hmm. than, and that would maybe that would reduce its necessary speed in the sky, because rather than being 300 kilometers up, traversing a huge amount of space so quickly, you'd have something traversing the sky uh, maybe only as quickly as an airplane, which. Airplanes do all the time, and they're not going three thousand miles an hour or whatever. And you know, I've I've seen this myself. I've went out in the night sky. I've observed it myself. But it's in the path of many other blinking lights as well. It's not the only <laughs> one up there. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that um, this whole question brings up is in night sky observation, you end up with things that are moving around up there um and some of them are and not to bring up too many woo-woo topics at once i think we will just have to like leave this as a big question mark in our show but satellites that change direction suddenly are satellites that stop and then keep moving that makes me start to ask some very weird questions which we don't really need to go into right now but no, but, you know, I think that they would all follow the same path anyway. It's uh, what else would the FAA have them do for safety? So it's, what I saw is it travels from east to west. And if you wait 20 minutes, another one comes along. If you wait another 20, seems to be a steady. If you look up and you just it's so slow, though, you could probably see this. You just have to just look up at the stars. Yeah. And just wait. Yes. If you if you just wait, just wait, let it happen, you'll start to see that one st- is slowly moving, and you're like, what the heck? And it's blinking, <laughs> and it's tra- And if you wait, you'll see another one come the same path. It's crazy. You just, but you have to like be patient. Mm, 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 mm. And that's interesting because we're told anyway that it doesn't have such incredibly bright lights. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. It doesn't have running lights, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't and have. It doesn't way, have a propeller. <laughs> no propeller. <laughs> Moving it along. Although that little the, thing in the back looks a bit like a propeller. Right, it does. Kind of like a weird bird. <laughs> but for people who are saying, "K, that's just a satellite. You're just looking at satellites." Well, I, I looked up satellites, and they don't have running lights. There's no way to power them. No satellite has a running light. So it's not satellites. Which brings up another technical issue with the whole idea of this ISS, aside from all the other things they say are up there. Where are its corrective jets, which prevent it from, let's say, you know, the wrong kind of movement inside, uh, the wrong kind of movement on the outside impacting it, causing it to suddenly slowly descend to the earth to risk burning up and so forth, as they say Mir did. I don't know if you guys remember Mir. What exactly do they have as far as jets that they can actually blast and uh, have it move around? I mean, as we've established in the in the Moon Hoax episode of the Clues Chronicle, uh, the whole idea of rocketry in space is actually rather in question. So... 
and and if you wanted to have something like this just floating around, you would absolutely want some kind of emergency measure to prevent it from just coming crashing down all billions of dollars, you know. The most recent reference I've had on the topic of moving the space station or space stations has been that the Chinese apparently have a space station that is its orbit is collapsing, I think is the term. Mm. It's coming closer. And they're choosing not to, or there's some speculation that they've lost control of their unit, and it's about to re-enter. <clears throat> and um, I think I heard it's an eight-ton unit. A very auspicious number. <laughs> eight. But in comparison, I guess the International Space Station is a 400-ton unit, and our unit is meaning the people in the International community, I guess, have theirs under control, where the Chinese and not us, I guess. Oh, yeah, and our unit is also much larger and more <laughs> potent, larger. yes. And uh, <laughs> kind of that was a recent, I mean, I just heard about that last week, so. And now I'm becoming more interested in the topic, now that you brought it to my attention again. Um, I do enjoy looking at the night sky. I do enjoy looking at bodies that are up there and wonder about them, and I think they're I don't know how many artificial satellites we see. patients to see one, I think, oh, it could be the space station, wonder about it, because I've sort of heard. But the wonderings are mainly prompted by things I've heard through uh, the media. I ought to spend more time investigating, rather than passively hearing things and then wondering about it. I am still kind of crabby about the military and industrial complex and the reason for it. And I am also kind of crabby about the, the story about Elon Musk, even as a private company, wanting to send folks to Mars. I don't quite understand. Oh, my gosh. If you only started on the Elon Musk and PayPal thread at Clues Forum, you'd be oh. disgusted. Oh, you've done a lot already. And Oh, sorry. No, uh, it's quite all right. It's, it's all connected. I mean, if you go to page five of the fakery in orbit thread that we're looking at, we've got the... The 9-11 World Trade Center footage from the space station showing this kind of like foggy, weird, throbbing cloud moving around in a jittery, amateurish looking camera of supposedly the World Trade Center attack as what? As what the ISS like flies by or whatever? I, I don't know. I, didn't, I, didn't, I saw that one. That one caught my eye. Look, Why does it look like a handheld shot? Why, what's the importance of it? You know, I don't quite understand. It feels, if everything feels doctored in some way, and I don't quite understand why. But that one, I mean, they're, they're pointing, I saw an image, it was on the site, and uh, it was, it was trying to point up a, a flume that was going up. Oh, there it is, this smoke flume going up from a place that would have been there, New York. 
but the, the camera frame has to wiggle. Why would that? I would think that you'd be pretty fixed on that. So I don't. Oh, there's probably some psychological reason for all of it, right? You know, something they studied very well. Maybe like, yeah, Blair Witch Project. We get uh, Mm. and uneasy, and you know, it impacts us in that part of the brain. I suppose that's part of the thing, right? Do we we think bottom in our brain activity? We think bottom to top, back to front, and then is it left to right or right to left? I'm not sure, but it all happens really quickly. Cultures dictate that, yeah. A big part of what this site's doing is pointing up how we're susceptible to those kinds of manipulations, right? Yep, pretty much. And it is unclear what is actually going on. But as you said, since all of it looks so weird, all of it looks rather doctored, we can only conclude that something weird is going on rather than something rather average or uh, mundane. It seems as though maybe even controversy continues to draw attention to them. It's something to celebrate, not to be worried about. The uneasiness about it, I think, is something to respect in ourselves. Thanks. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Yeah, and not, you know, not, not run from, but rather to lean into. And so that's, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to be kind of pissy about this thing, but now I'm, I got another thing I got to bear down a little bit more because it warrants, I think, a little bit more investigation. But it, there are probably so many threads here. I, it's hard to choose from which of these I want to, you know. There's a lot of, there's a lot here. For me, um, researching it like scratches a subconscious itch. I don't know a better way to say it, but like nice. there's something that's been bothering me that I saw. And then when I finally resolve it, I go, oh, there you go. Oh, that felt good to get rid of that itch. And then it's gone. If it's, you know, but if it's building itches, you know, maybe find something else to do. But <laughs> it should be cathartic, perhaps, is you know, what I'm saying, and not drudgery. I agree. Yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's, it's a good springboard to go for me. I'll do my own research. So it's an impetus. Thank you. That's why I did 9-11. <laughs> That's why I looked into it. And was like, that doesn't make sense. Why don't that make sense? And this too. Oh, my goodness. The fakery. Doesn't everybody see it? I don't get it. I think a lot of people see the ISS fakery, but they have a hard time putting that into context. So usually they'll just accept the... Um, the lack of explanation from NASA as a sort of an endorsement of it. It's almost like, well, they probably meant to, you know, doctor that up because they had to. They needed to in some way. You have to have some kind of product, right? You're spending billions of bucks. <laughs> you got to show something for it, whether it's digital or what not. We haven't talked about space-based weaponry. Oh, right. The whole thing that there's like these intercontinental missiles that could just drop on anyone we want and yeah cbms is a different thing that's 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 terrestrial to terrestrial oh i see oh yo we there's a thing about that oh no i did some research (laughs) space-based weapons you gotta imagine that the military has not just contemplated it but have them in place what i that that's the thing that i think makes me crabby the most about a, the, the idea of an ISS. So what what a better platform for space-based weaponry. So I get... Well, it sounds like you're not just crabby, but you can even be 
maybe slightly fearful. Um, yeah, I, I feel a certain threat by that. I mean, in powerlessness, absolutely. Well, how do you feel about on page 12 when we start talking about when the bubbles show up and we start seeing that the stuff that's supposed to be out in space is mostly done underwater here in these particular shots? And the Chinese citizenry even pointed it out in their own Chinese propaganda. And then we're doing it here in USA, too. Does that make you, I mean, that makes me feel less fearful. That makes me think like, you know what? They probably can't even achieve space very easily. It's probably something that they want us to look at as like this ultimate great power that they have over us. It's like it was like the U.S. said, "Okay, China, you can pretend to go into space for a while, but only for a while." Yeah, we'll, we'll let you test it out, and then when they did so shitty on the bubbles, they were just like, "Well, China is faking it, so they can't." <laughs> we gotta stop them, Russians. What do you got? <laughs> oh wow, I saw this one. The guy. The, the scuba person inside the unit. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, so it's meant to reassure us that the that this the boogeyman isn't really the boogeyman. It's a suggestion, maybe, of that. Yeah, Clues Forum is trying to say this thing that you worry about and obsess over and you think might be this greatest good or greatest evil might just be a drama. Might just be a sponsor to drama. My favorite is how the Chinese space program emblem is exactly like the Star Trek emblem. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, okay, you guys are going to copy Star Trek? We could do that, too. But it's like, no, no, China, don't. Oh, no. You know, we we have a little artistic separation. Just a little. (laughs) You're too close, man. See, the Chiners, they don't get it socially. You know, we're not communicating enough with uh, our government with (laughs) what our expectations are. Not well enough, apparently. No. It's crazy. Well, isn't it? good, good on you. I mean, this is good service. Okay, so when I look down from that, where the scuba diver is inside the unit, there's two videos there: Earth at Night, seen from space, mm. and then any other name by Thomas Newman. Do you see? It's on that same page. There's my typical night sky view. Look at that Milky Way. It's all lit up. Yeah, that we is. It be so much more pronounced. That's what they're okay. illustrating in that, isn't? Isn't it? Yes, and illustration is a good word, because we don't know how the image was produced. And it's interesting that they would release both types. There's not so many of those stars ones, though. Not as many as you'd hope. Well, that one, they do. They are showing some stars. Minimal. But, but the expectation would be, it would be so much more pronounced. Because the other one is a terrestrial shot shooting up to space, and there's all the atmosphere clutter in between. Like the Hubble Space Telescope. That's the reason it gives such good images. That's what we were told. That's what we were told. Yes, it's funny, though, that the terrestrial telescopes are supposed to be surpassing Hubble, even in in their own mythology. It's kind of funny how that is. Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm I'm pretty confused now at the moment. Thanks. Was that part of the – that was part of the objective of the conversation? Well, I think the the gift is that you are allowed to ask questions. Um, if you feel destabilized or you feel like you're experiencing cognitive dissonance, that's normal. Yeah. I would, I would say like when you're doing a yoga stretch and it starts to hurt a little, you're kind of like, yeah, just just sit through it for thirty seconds and then let go. You know, it's kind of like yeah, see, I'm breathing. See yeah. if something just passes after this exercise it's a mental exercise but for frame of reference maybe 
we should go over what we think currently to put this thread into perspective about space. You know, just a quick and for everyone else listening, because we've made some accusations that seem crazy, but in the general picture, it fits quite well. Is there like a 30 second kind of rundown of our general belief about space? I didn't even get through the whole International Space Station thread. We may have to come back to this one in another episode. But based on all of our research, including my own personal stuff, which I don't share on the forum, I'd say I presently believe space might be achievable. The achievements that we are seeing in the news about space are all faked for some reason, um, I don't know why that is. It could be because they're covering something up, or it could just be, you know, like a, a boogeyman outfit, as Dad said. It's like a way to kind of fluff up something that might not actually be achievable. I include in that all the phenomenon of rocket flight, satellites, and the space station. And I think that the shape of the Earth enters into the discussion, but the shape of the, and the shape of the horizon enters in, into the discussion, but we are limited in our data because we keep getting it from corrupted sources. So, and that isn't to imply that we need to uh, discover some ultimate cosmology. I'm actually really comfortable in not knowing. I'm, I'm, I'm probably more comfortable than most people in just right. saying, we don't know what the heck uh, the people who claim to be in charge know, but it seems like they they pretend to know more than they do. That's 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 where I'm at right now. So it seems like from what we can prove, we can get as high as the Carmen line, maybe like as far yeah. as balloons go. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a provable height yes. where we're at right now. How how tall is that? High up is that? Oh, uh, it's a page six. Oh, page six. Yep. That that one struck me as a good reference. It's, thought, a, balloon, it's a balloon page. It's, anyway, there's a balloon page there, and I think they talk about some numbers there. I thought it was like about basically 100. It's like 70 kilometers to 100 or something like that. 200 miles altitude, I, is this some sort of joke? There's that. So then there's some of the altitude stuff, which I was digging. The Carmen line is about 100 kilometers. So it it appears just like... You know, if you had a balloon, right, and you let it go underwater, or not, say just a ball, a ball, right? right? You're holding a ball filled with air under the water, and you let go, and it bobs up, and it hits that surface of the water, but it doesn't go up in, you know, it might go up in the air, but it, it, that's as high as it can go. It's floating on the water now, it can't go any farther. So, isn't that like the feeling right now is perhaps, what I'm thinking is satellites, are probably just attached to zeppelins or blimps or something, and that's as high as they can go. They're bobbing right up there, but I don't think we have engines that can that know how to thrust without an atmosphere. I think that's true. I think that maybe at best we have kind of like motorboats. So, in other words, it wouldn't be necessarily a, zepp- a, a zeppelin in the traditional sense, but it would be kind of like the equivalent of a motorboat of atmosphere. So we're like skirting along the surface there. But Ooh, yes. Yes, that's good. Yes. And you know, just that's like just like a boat, you can sort of 
come out a little ways, but there's nothing to keep you from falling back in at that point. So um, it's kind of like a dolphin jumping up out of the water. You're, the dolphin, no matter how hard it tries, is not going to achieve orbit. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's where we're stuck. That's where our machines can operate in orbit, and we don't know how to build a machine that can operate where we can't even test it very easily. Right. On some level. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I don't mean to put, I'm not trying to make a consensus with you. I agree. With, I mean, I mean, I don't have to agree. I mean, <laughs> cool. I respect your opinion and your, and your, right. I'm just, estimation. I'm just trying to figure out our, our limits, you know, what, what we're limited by. And I think the space station is out of our limit. It's out of our reach. We don't have the technology to do that yet is one of the reasons they have to fake it. I think so, too. And I think that if we do discover the technology, it's not going to resemble this underwater pool stuff that they're saying we just cast up into space, into a starless sky. <laughs> right. Where are you at, Head Floss? I'm not integrating it yet. I'm just listening and comprehending what I'm hearing you say that your baseline is on understanding of this. And so I'd have to adjust my understanding to meet you there. Well, here's the I'm thing. Still, I'm still caught up. I'm still caught up in the NASA space narrative and, and, and I'm caught back into maybe coming back into the atmosphere in my, you know, my thinking. I, <clears throat> it hasn't been, I mean, I was intrigued by outer space for sure as a kid still am and when i look up and i try to perceive what's going on when i see these glorious heavens as we call them i mean i i'm not looking for a proof of heaven that way it's not religious that way i just when i look up and i see night skies i'm amazed and uh wonder mm, me too <clears throat> and uh so i'm not that's not lost the specifics about how how high we've gone I still, I still am kind of crabby about that. I don't know. I think there's so much to be done and focus on Earth. I don't know why we're trying to escape it unless we've thought that it's a bygone conclusion and we're going to kill ourselves. So that's kind of the, when I get into existential and ontological dilemmas about it, I think we ought to be focusing on how we can do things better terrestrially. You know what? You, I couldn't summarize it better. <laughs> totally. I totally agree. You're so far ahead of the game is the issue. The, but I think first and foremost, these are investment scams that friends of the state put up and put together and take advantage of. And, you know, we're the victims of it because we don't know the wiser. They're the Tin Men is a great movie, you know, and I don't know what you'd call mm -hmm. the space Tin Men, but it's like that. They're shysters. Let's do more like this, what you're trying to do and, and, Find the truth and let's try to reveal better or more real truths. I mean, these others are, I don't know, I don't know why they want to make those the truths. I'm not all excited about Elon Musk and his truths. Well, is he, is he, I mean, I, I said it earlier, but I still stand by the notion that they don't really give a shit about the truth. It's not so much about the selling. truth. That's just another tool for them to attract. They're selling something. They're selling an idea and trying to capture the imaginations. And I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm so much less interested in that now. What are you interested in lately? You know, if we're thinking about space travel or space time stuff, I'm more compelled by the idea that we don't have to shoot 
rockets off. I mean, why don't we do it? Why don't we investigate consciousness and see how we can move mm. our consciousness around in realities? There are a lot more. I mean, there are a lot of unseen realities. Let's mm. let's explore those. Mm. Let's celebrate doubt. Let's celebrate um, skepticism about these wild stories and not get caught up. Get not try not to let our imaginations get caught into these things so much. It's it's unfortunate, and I'm kind of un-American that way. I'm a lousy salesman. If people say they don't need it, I have to. I tend to agree with them. <laughs> uh, aren't, I think you told me a story one time about the the want nots. Yeah, want nots. Yeah, it's a culture. <laughs> it's a <laughs> and pe- and the establishment can be very threatened by these people. What do you mean you don't it, want it anything? Follows up the game. So that's why we have that. You know, part of the salesmanship is to set up this idea that there's scarcity, you know, so we're really caught up in the scarcity program. You know, that's a big part of all of this is, well, that goes back to the century itself. That was four, that was four hours well spent and eight hours if you saw it twice. That's still <laughs> 12 hours. I've spent 12 hours on it. I don't mind. It's That's time well spent. Spend that time with your friends and really get to the, that's a, the BBC their propagandists were pointing up the, that's the pot calling the kettle black against the North Americans. But it, it was hilarious that way, I thought. I thought it was really good. Yeah, so. You know, Adam, Adam Curtis is criticized, <laughs> but if you're going to choose entertainment between like Adam Curtis and, I don't know, George Clooney, I'd go Adam Curtis. What's Clooney selling these days? Well, just uh, look at the latest PSYOP, and he's probably involved. He was pitching something just last week. I forgot what it was. Maybe more, I mean, some kind of colonialism, it seemed like. You know, how we're supposed to be helping other people on other continents here from North America. Mm-hmm. I think it was something like that. Wow, I'm getting crabby. I better, I'm getting gloomy and crabby. The birthday, the birthday spirit is kind of well. I'm. I do still want to celebrate what you're doing. We've had our cake and ice cream, and now it's kind of like uh, <laughs> yeah. sugar low. <laughs> I know reality can be. You know, when you realize you're being fooled, it's a bummer, man. It's a bummer. Can we end on a light note? It's okay. It is, but the light note is we don't have to worry. There's nothing up there gonna get ya. That's, you. That's that's what I really think. That's a good. Yeah, ICBMs, man, they yeah. have such a funny, sketchy beginning. That's a whole other show. It all starts with a missile named Mac and a Disney feature you're gonna love. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, no, that's right. And you know what? I actually feel good. I still own the night sky. It's still mine. They have not yet take that from me. Wow. Right on. Sweet. Keeping it real together. Yeah, keeping it real together. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. Yeah, I um. Or headphones. Is that enough? Is that is that enough? Yeah, that's great. Uh, the only thing is, I just wanted to say that next episode we were planning on doing the seven seven two thousand five supposed bombing in London. Mm. The one that happened in front of the Tavistock Institute, mm-hmm. the the group that psychologically profiles and propagandizes people, mm-hmm. ironically. Well, let's yeah. ask Head Floss. Are you familiar with Tavistock? Isn't that the Tavistock rule set that says whatever said here stays here? Huh. 
I think it's a part of an extension of the CFR conversation. It's the gentleman's rules because it was usually men's clubs, right? Hmm. Oh, I got a piece on uh, the origins of the conspiracy. The, the, The term conspiracy theory was created by the CAA, according to an article I that Ben Brown just shared with me. Very good stuff. Sixty-three, sixty-four time frame. Oh gosh, he's a, he'd be a great guest. Wow, he actually had the patience to have me sit down and explain September Clues to him piece by piece as he had questions. What a what a guy. I like him a lot. I I spent time working on over at his house today. We we needed some time together. It was good. So yeah, to have a stock, I in um little bit. I'm you know I'm interested in a lot of different things. Now I gotta look at the space station again. Sorry. Dang it! Quit laying all this on me, man. What's up? <laughs> I like the idea that we don't have to worry about that. Fine. The threat. That's that's. Yeah, we're good. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Kay. Still on the night. Yes, the night is yours. Go get it. Yeah, that's a nice one. Thank you so much, both of you. And I just want to express my gratitude as, uh, in a rare, in this rare case, I can actually say as really, really close people in my life, not just as my role in authorship of a movement, but just as a human being. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was nice. Thank you. I hope it was a help and not a hindrance. And it's really nice. Uh, I love project work with both of you. So I, that's the way we really get to know one another. So I thanks for inviting me in on the project. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much. We'll close with some more music. Hopefully that will be an uplifting thing. And maybe just a bit more from Neil Postman first. And remember to check uh, the website, www.thecluesechronicle.info for all our show notes and references. Thank you. See you next time. Uh, what's happening with language? Uh, Jacques Ellul, the well-known French um, uh, sociologist, recently published a book with the title The Humiliation of the Word. And he makes the point, as others have, that uh, one of the characteristics of the new media, uh, television, and VCR, and even film, and uh, uh, mass-produced photography and so on, is to humiliate the word. That is, the word moves to the periphery of the culture, and the visual image takes its place uh, at the center.
Thank you.